we have our missions conference this uh, Friday through Sunday, and um, we still have some uh, a couple things that we need from you if you could help us out. Um, if you have the gift of hospitality, uh, we could use some housing for Joseph Coates. He's going to be speaking for us. He's coming up from Tennessee, and uh, his wife and kids aren't able to come with him, but uh, could use some housing for those nights. Uh, in fact, he needs some housing Friday through Sunday. So he'll come in Friday night, and then he would leave uh, Monday morning to drive back home. So if that's something that you could do, could you please see me uh, at some point? That would be a great way that you could serve our missionary and um, <clears throat> and serve our church by helping him out in that way. <clears throat> there are also some sign-up sheets. If you haven't seen those, they're out on the, the table out there. Make sure you sign up for... Uh, we have refreshments after each of the Friday and Saturday services, and then <clears throat> and then a lunch on on uh, Sunday afternoon. All right. Well, let me uh, pray as we uh, look into our study this morning and um, continue on in our study about biblical manhood and womanhood. Father, we're grateful for uh, your grace. We're grateful for the men and women who have served in our country to provide the freedoms that we enjoy today. And uh, thankful for those who have given their lives in service and given their lives uh, in sacrifice to, um, to provide for us the freedoms that we have. We do thank you for our country. We recognize the great privileges and, um, and freedoms that we do have and want to acknowledge your grace in all of it. We're thankful most of all for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, thankful for our Savior and the life that He lived for us and sacrificed on our behalf. And we recognize that His sacrifice, His life was infinitely greater than even the men and women who have given themselves for our country because uh, while we have some temporary freedom as a result of our veterans, we have eternal freedom through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and so we praise You for Your Son. We praise You for His willingness to submit Himself to, uh, to death, even to the point of death, and becoming obedient to You in it. We pray that our lives would be a reflection of our acknowledgement of the, that freedom that we have in Christ and that we would uh, be faithful servants of You, worthy of our calling. Help us this morning as we reflect on Your Word and what it means for uh, our roles and, uh, as men and as women, and we pray that You would help us to understand them rightly and change us where we need to be changed with regard to our understanding because of the societal um, ideas that are out there and that have influenced us. May we be influenced by Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday we began this series by introducing the material and, um, you know, I began by saying, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And then I listed some stereotypes and then showed how those stereotypes have changed over the, the last several decades, uh, especially in our country. And um, and I didn't really come down on the side which which is the way that a man ought to be, what, what ought a man to look like, what ought a woman to look like. But I just wanted to show you that they're there. And then throughout this class, I hope you'll see that, that we will see because of what the Scripture says 
uh, that man ought to be a certain way and woman ought to be a certain way, uh, ought to fulfill certain roles. So um, I began by introducing these two key concepts, which are here for you on the screen, the very long words, um, 25-cent words, right, that... that uh, that we need to understand because I'm going to be using them throughout the, the course, uh, throughout the, the series, and uh, we want to make sure that we're understanding these rightly. Okay, so there are two basic views. First is egalitarianism, and we're going to talk about that a lot. We're going to look at it in three ways. How each of these ideas relate to the, the creation, the, the created order. We're going to look at the Scriptures there. And then how it relates to the fall, the, the fall of man into sin, and then also how it relates to redemption in Christ. And as we do that, you'll start to see what these two terms mean and what they represent, the people behind them represent. Okay, So last week I said that egalitarianism has to do with, with uh, men and women being equal both in essence and in function. Okay, complementarianism is men and women are equal in essence, but different in role or different in function. Okay, so we're going to look at that uh, this morning. So, in relation to creation, we'll start there. How do these two ideas um, relate to the creation order? Would you turn to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1. We'll look at both of these, starting with egalitarianism. In, in the word egalitarianism, you can kind of see the word root equal. Okay, So when you think of that term, maybe that will be a helpful way for you to, to think of it. That, that men and women are equal in, in every respect. That's the idea. They're, they're equal in every respect. That There's no difference between how they ought to function, what their roles are, um, who they are, and all those sorts of things, okay? So, in, in, um, when we come to the creation order, how men and women were made, egalitarians believe that, that God created male and female as equal in all respects, no differences at all. And they take Genesis 1, 26 and 27, they say, there, see there, there's no distinction between woman and man because they're both made in God's image. We'll look at these verses here in just a second. And so they are given equal function as well with regard to their rule over creation. And so that means they have more than just equality in essence. Okay, that's your first blank. In essence but also in function or role. Okay, so there's no difference there. They, they, they are the same. So the, the woman has the same responsibility as a man. There's no difference. All right, in the second page of your notes, you see the complementarian believes that male and female were created by God And that they are the same in dignity, value, essence, and human nature. That is, they are no less in the image of God, that is, a woman is no less in the image of God than a man is. 
They, the complementarians be, believe the same thing. They're on the same page when it comes to this first point. Men and women are created equal in essence. That is, as far as who they are. But, complementarians believe that male and female are different in role or in function. That man was given a responsibility of loving authority over the female and the female was to offer willing, glad-hearted, and submissive assistance to the man. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And while we won't see this second point here in these verses, we'll see how this relates to Genesis 2. Okay, so look at Genesis 1. Would someone read verses 26 and 27? All right, so you see there at the end of verse 27, male and female. Okay, so they were both made in God's image. However, what I'm suggesting with regard to the second view, which is the one that I'm obviously taking, is that um, that 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 a woman had a different role than a man when it came to their function. And that that is uh, that becomes clear when we get to Genesis chapter two. Okay, so but before we get there, let me just talk to you about what it means to be made in the image of God. Okay, because I don't want you to think that a woman is any less made in the image of God than a man is, and that's clear from these verses that both the man and the woman were made in the image of God. And so that means that men and women bear the image of God equally. They bear the likeness of God. Now, what does it mean to have the likeness of God or to be made in the likeness of God? What does that mean? Well, my theology professor, Dr. McCune, puts it this way. It is that man's personal, we can say man and woman, their personal, spiritual, and moral resemblance to God is such that man replicates the infinite God on a finite level. Okay, And this involves the uh, what theologians call the communicable attributes of God. Now, there are some attributes of God we can't, we can't uh, be made in the likeness of God in that way. In what way. In what ways are we different from God? Can you think of any? Okay, we're not omniscient. Good. Okay, so those are what theologians call the incommunicable attributes. Those are on, they only belong to God. We could say omniscience, omnipotence, right? Uh, omnipresence. Infinity, okay, the fact that he is he is infinite, uh, eternal, that he is the source of life. We aren't the source of life. We we receive life from God. Okay, so those all those things and many more separate us from God. But there are ways that we we are made in His likeness. Can you think of any of those? Okay, much of His character, right? He he says in the scriptures often. Jesus says this as well. Be holy. Why? Because I am holy, right? So there are these are what are known as communicable attributes. So let's look at these um, these ways in which we are made in God's image. And there are three primarily that that, that my theology professor breaks them down into these: personally, spiritually, and morally. Okay. So first, personally, 
personally. We are made in the likeness of God in that we are a person. Each one of us is a person, just like God is a person. Now, what does it mean to be a person? Ken talked about this a couple weeks ago when he taught. He said that to be, to be a person means that you have a mind, will, and emotions. That you have intellect, the ability to think, to, to be self-conscious. Okay, animals can't do that. They're, they're not made in the image of God. We are intellectual. We have minds. But we also have a will. We have the ability to choose, to make choices. And then we have emotions as well. And so that's one of the ways in which we are made in God's image. And then spiritually, that is, we have the, the capacity for worship. It's that simple. We have the capacity for worship. Have you ever seen a dog going outside to do his business and then all of a sudden he sees the sunrise and he just goes prostrate to the ground because he's in worship to God? Have you ever seen that before? <laughs> Neither have I. Okay, And that's because... Dogs are not made in the image of God, nor is any animal. Now, they have uh, the capacity to worship, not consciously, though. It would be instinctively or in a way that, that God, like, remember how God says, you know, the very rocks will cry out to me. It's the idea that all of creation speaks to God's glory in some way, but they don't do it consciously, right? Animals don't do it consciously. No, they but when we see a sunrise and we say, wow, the, the Almighty God painted such a beautiful picture for us this morning. We have the capacity for worship. That's what it means to be a person. It's one of the ways in which we are made in God's image. And then thirdly, morally, the ability to choose right from wrong. Okay? Animals are not rational creatures. They're not made in the image of God. They're not rational creatures. They do things all on instinct. So if you tell them no uh, multiple times or you give them uh, negative consequences for doing whatever, they're doing it on instinct. They're not doing it because they rationally think, you know, I don't want to displease my master. Right? So, so, uh, so in contrast, we, however, have the rational capability to understand the difference between right and wrong. Even unbelievers do, don't they? Because Romans 2, 14 and 15 say that God has written it on their hearts. Now, sometimes they, they um, many times they uh, misguide their own consciences and so as a result they're misguided and, and people have all sorts of twisted ideas of what, are, what is right. But, in general, they have an idea of what is right and wrong. They know that it's, it would be wrong to kill, you know, a three-year-old baby in cold blood, right? I mean, that's it's just uh, it, it. You don't. No one teaches them that, right? They just know that uh, because God has written it on their hearts. So God says here in in verses 26 and 27 that God made man in His image and. And so that's what this means. That we are made in, man, in God's image in the sense that we are personal creatures, we are spiritual creatures, and we are moral creatures. Okay, so when we talk about this, we are not in any disagreement with egalitarians who would say, you know what, that's how we are made in God's image. We, we do represent God in these ways, or, or we are made in His likeness in these ways. Now, they would take it one step further and say that, that um, both women and men have the same roles. 
So now we come to Genesis 2. Would you turn there with me of verses 15 to 24? And what we want to see here now is the contrast in the created order. The contrast between the man and the woman. Verse 15 reads, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then the Lord said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. These verses present now a paradox. And the paradox is this. God created both men and women equally, but He also made the male as the head and the female as the helper. Now, where do we get this? Well, there are several reasons from this text where we see that the man is is primarily responsible for God's creation and the female is the helper to the man. First, we see that Who was put into the garden first? The man. And Paul uses that very argument, the chronology of man being made before woman to explain why men should have the leadership role within the church. Now, we're going to get there several classes from now, how that all plays out. But Paul uses this very thing, the creation order, that man was made first. So we should not deny that. And we see that, uh, secondly, that God charged the man to work the garden and to take care of it, right? He's telling Adam, you need to take care of the garden. This was before Eve was even created. And then he gave him the authority to name the animals, right? Was Eve there when Adam named the animals? No. Remember, he had each of the animals come and he would notice that each of them had a male and a female. And, and then that's when he recognized, you know what, I don't have anyone that's suitable for me. And then, uh, thirdly, we see that woman was made literally from the man, right? The rib was taken out of the man, and this shows that the man has a a, um, a precedence as far as as far as function. Remember, not as far as equality, not as far as essence, but as far as function, that the man has a a um, a precedence or. Uh, a prominence there. And then notice the relationship between male and female. Man, man's responsibility was to, um, to lead and the, the woman's responsibility was to help. Right? Because he's looking for a helper suitable for him. Okay? He wasn't made to be a helper suitable for her. 
He was looking for a helper suitable for him, and that's exactly what God did. In fact, that's what woman. Uh, that, that's uh, what we see in verse 23. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, not the other way around. Okay. Again, this doesn't minimize the the worth of a woman. The fact that that she was made second or that she was made as a helper for him. The worth is still in equality with a man. And this all takes place before there's even a marriage. You see, the, the recognition of marriage happens in what verse? 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Remember, this is, this is a, an ongoing a principle that's going to be that's put in place here in verse 24. Remember, Adam and Eve didn't have parents, so why would God or, or why would Moses write these words? Because this was the first marriage that that there is a a coming together of man and woman, and uh, and all of these things take place before they they join in marriage. So, does that mean that every single uh, woman is is subject to every single man. Well, we'll have to talk through all those implications. But, but what what is clear is that that even that was in place before there was a marriage between these two. Um, and then I want you to notice too that he named the woman. Now in the Old Testament, to name something was to to show possession of. Okay, not not no. Don't think of that in a completely derogatory way because God named His people. Okay, but but to show authority over something. I mean, you can think about it. If you've had kids, okay, who was responsible for naming your kids? Okay, because you you have some ownership in that child. You name your animals, right? Because you have some ownership in those animals and so on. Um. So, so there is uh, clearly. Um, there is clearly a precedence of the man over the woman with regard to function. That the man is the one who names the woman. Here, he names her woman. Later, he's going to name her Eve. Okay, and I think uh, we understand uh, what's going on there. So, while both egalitarians and complementarians agree essentially with regard to Genesis 1, when we come to Genesis 2, there is great amount of disagreement and um and uh and so we have to uh we have to wrestle with those things and we want the reason I wanted to show you this first is because we want to see that that this authority structure was set up before the fall okay because what the egalitarians are going to argue as we'll see here in Genesis chapter 3 is that part of the curse was for the man to have authority over the woman but that's why I wanted to show you from Genesis chapter 2, but that there is authority before the curse, before the fall, before any sin had come into place. All right, so before we get to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall, are there any questions or comments on Genesis 1 and 2? All right, I'll take silence as agreement. All right. The fall. Egalitarians suggest that the functional roles, that is, 
the man over the woman came about as a result of the fall. That before the fall, when everything was perfect, no sin, then man and woman were both equal before God. We agree on that. But they also had uh, the same functions. And it wasn't until sin came in that, that the man tried to take authority over the woman. That, that sin actually defiled the relationship. The, defiled the equality that there was. This is what they're suggesting. The, the, defiled the, the equality that there was in function and then created an illegitimate hierarchical structure. That is, the man, now I'm going to take precedent over you with regard to function. And the proof for that comes from Genesis 3.16 and the curse for the woman. Notice, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you will bring forth your children and yet your desire will be for your husband. Here's your punishment. Your desire is going to be for your husband. You're going to have to submit to him. That's the the egalitarian's way of, of explaining that this is a result of the fall. And so what God had intended, according to them, in Genesis 1 and 2, was changed and was, was corrupted. And now for, throughout all of the rest of human history that is corrupted by sin, there will be this, this structure within the relationship or at least this desire to be in this sort of structure. And they would actually call this a harmful relationship for a man to have authority over a woman. I hope you see some problems with that, but but on the other side, complementarianism suggests that the functional roles were not a result of the fall, but were distorted as a result of the fall. That sin introduced many complications within the marriage relationship, within the roles between man and woman. And among them is this significant role between them, that is the husband over the man. Now, what does that mean? Well, notice that there were two main curses given directly to Eve. What was the first curse in verse 16 given to Eve? A change in what? A change in her anatomy. Some way it's going to make childbirth much more difficult. A change in childbirth, exactly. And so there's that first change. But what's the second change? It's in relationship to her husband. Now... Now, to understand what this verse means, verse 16, notice what it says there. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In order to understand that, what that means, we need to understand these two verbs. First, desire. Or, or I shouldn't say verbs, but, but these uh, two ideas. Your desire, and then rule. Now, these two... Um, these two words in the Hebrew language are only used two other times in one location. And that is in chapter 4, verse 7. Would you look over there with me? This is Cain. Chapter 4, let's start with verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you but you must master or rule, as it said in 3.16, you must master or rule over it. 
Okay, so what is God saying there to Cain? Because if we can understand chapter 4, verse 7, then it will help us to understand chapter 3, verse 16. God is saying to Cain, sin's desire is to rule over you. But Cain, you must rule over it. You must master it. It's desire. It's to have its authority, have its way with you, Cain. That's what sin's desire is. But you must master it. You must rule over it. So here's what it means in chapter 3, verse 16. Those same two words. It's not that she'll have a greater desire for her husband. Oh, I love you so much. This is a great curse. This doesn't even sound like a curse. That's not what it means. We need to take things in its context. We need to see how Scripture interprets Scripture. And here's a perfect way to do that. It's not that she'll have a greater desire, but rather she will now have a desire to do what? To rule over Him. But He must rule over her. See that at the end of the verse? But He will rule over you. He will master you. It's the same idea as in chapter 4, verse 7. The natural desire that she had to submit to her husband, which was there before the fall, is now being replaced by a usurping of his authority, a desire to rule over him. That's the curse. That's the second part of the curse for her. One, her body will be changed. Two, she will have a desire not any longer to submit to him, but to rule over him. And do you see how Jesus is changing us. That as He is making us more and more into the image of God, we are more and more reflecting what the creation order ought to have been. And so, as we get to Ephesians 5 and things, we'll see why Paul gives specific commands to the woman to submit to her husband. Because that reflects what was happening in Genesis 1 and 2. See, we've... As a result of the curse, we've changed that. We've tried to give up. So what that's going to look like is women trying to have authority over men and men being more passive in their relationship with women in order to keep the peace. Could you imagine what it would be like for Eve to have naturally enjoyed the leadership of her husband? It would be like the son's relationship to the father. There's no tension that the relationship is marked by love and they both understand their roles. Jesus never says, I wish I could tell my father what to do. Right? The Holy Spirit, same idea. See, that's what it would be like in a perfect relationship. But that's been changed. And so, our understanding of Genesis 3, 15 and 16 means that there is... A, a, a structure within the male and female relationship, but as a result of the fall, it's actually been harmed. It's been made more difficult. In particular, the, in particular, the woman would have a desire to usurp the authority of the man in creation, in her relationship. And so this would lead to a couple of things. I, I did say that you know men can tend to be passive and allow the women to take over. But the other extreme is that men tend to be overly aggressive. No, I will be the master here, right? And so there's uh, these are all a result of the curse. All right. Any questions?
on that. Egalitarianism, complementarianism as relates to the fall. Mark. Yeah, uh, we actually have a whole class on that called um, "Biblical Manhood and Womanhood in the World," and so we'll we'll get to that. Yep, yep, that's a good question. All right, anything else? You don't think it's fair? Well, uh, I, I wish I could give you an answer, but uh, that's, I mean, that's why I'm trying to show you from the Scripture that I know you're teasing, but Jonathan. Um, you know, many of the same problem in a situation like I have a boss who's over me. I'm like 15 years his superior at least. And in some ways, he, he tends to, well, he has this affectionate name. He calls me Dr. Flint because... I have so much experience in, in, you know, I come across with a certain attitude. You know, he just likes to call me doctor. But whatever he says, he's my boss. I mean, that's it. <laughs> Unless it's wrong, I, you know, I can't really, you know, disagree with him. Is it true that you wear a lab coat sometimes to work? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think your, po- your point is uh, valid, and that is that just because... You know, in a marriage relationship, and we'll talk about some other relationships where men have authority over women, doesn't mean that men have no authority over them, right? There's lots of places within society that God has told us. I mean, there's authority structure within the church to to whom we must submit. There is authority structure to, obviously, God Almighty, but, but then within government as well. Romans 13 talks about submitting to the human government that God has placed over you and right in in the work relationship as well and so there's uh you know that doesn't mean that men are off the hook and just kind of hey we can do whatever we want tell women whatever we do and that's why we have to have we have to keep working forward right now we're just trying to set some groundwork and then as we work forward we'll start to see how that plays out in our church in our families in our homes and 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 uh in our workplaces vicky Exactly. Yeah, it's an excellent point. It doesn't change the equality in any way. Uh in fact you know the illustration I've used before is in in within the uh, let's say the civil government within our country. Okay, we have uh, a police officer who pulls over, let's say, the mayor of a town. Okay, does the mayor say you have no right to do this? Do you know who I am? Okay, I I pay your bills. No, and I don't. I write your paycheck or whatever. No, no, he's. He recognizes he should recognize the authority that the cop has over him. Not that he's any better than, or not that the police officer is any better than the mayor, uh, or whoever it may be. 
but but that there's an authority structure they have with regard to their citizenship in the, in the United States they are equal no one is not more of a citizen than the other and yet there's an authority structure that has to be um has to be understood there and that's exactly I mean I think that's uh, Vicky's point there someone else back here Trish did you have something okay all right Sandra Yeah, yeah. All right, good. All right, well, let's uh, go to this last one because this is also another, um, a bit of a sticky situation when it comes to egalitarianism. They appeal to passages like, would you turn there to Galatians 3? They appeal to passages like this. We just finished studying Galatians. And they say, see, here you go. When Christ came, He removed all of this, this uh, inequality with regard to function and role. Galatians 3.28 Let's start in um, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or a, a, um, a master, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves, clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here you go. Here's further proof that egalitarianism is the way to go, that, that women and men have are equal in worth before God and they are equal in function before God. Here's the proof that there is no distinction between male and female. That That's what Christ came to do, to, to restore that equality. But um, we understand that complementarianism, that is complementarianism, yes, women and men are equal in worth before God and that hasn't changed. It's never changed. Even with the fall, that never changed. They're equal in worth before God, equal in essence. But passages like this that talk about that male and female are equal have to do with, like this one specifically has to do with justification by faith. What is Paul talking about in Galatians chapter 3? Right? That Jews and Gentiles, you don't have to be a certain ethnic group to be, a, to, to be counted as righteous before God. And you don't have to be a certain gender. And so that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about functions within a marriage relationship or functions within society or in church. It also means equality with regard to freedom from legalism. Okay, a man is not more free than a woman when it comes to legalism. And we are equal with regard to our adoption into God's family. It's not that just men can be saved or adopted into God's family, but that women can as well. And that uh, even in Old Testament, um, you know, Old Testament writings historically, th- there was equality in, in all these ways as well. That a woman could come to, to faith in God just as a man could. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Um, 
And the reason we know that is because there are other passages okay, that we, we're not going to have time to get into, but other passages that talk about the roles. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second. Ephesians 5 starts with this. Submit yourselves to one another. Okay, so that means that men must submit to women and that women are equal in function and roles. We're going to talk about that one specifically, what that means, and uh, we'll look at it with regard to the whole passage. But when we look at these verses, we see a clear authority structure of the husband over the wife. Okay, First Timothy 2, 8-15, uh, I think it's talking about the church. That, that women are not to be pastors and so on. They should not exercise authority over a man. There is a male headship. And remember, Paul Paul um, alludes to or, or uses as his support that man was made first, okay, and uh, and so on. And that that Satan's Satan's attack on the family was not on the man; it was on the woman. Does that mean that she's more susceptible to sin? No, it means that Satan understood the roles. He understood that man was supposed to be over the woman, and so he purposely left the man aside and went right and attacked the woman. And the man followed right behind. Okay, so that is a distortion of the created order, the created structure that God has set up of a man over a woman with regard to their function. But man and woman on the same level with with regard to their worth, their dignity, their quality before God. Do you understand? You see the difference here, what we're trying to, to iron out here? These are very vital things, especially in our society, because our society is going to tell tell us something very different. If you haven't heard it already, in fact, you're probably thinking many of these things because we have been. These things are ingrained into our minds because of what our society tells us, and so we have to guard ourselves to make sure that we're understanding what we think, what we believe, how we act based on what the Scriptures say, and that's what I'm trying to do here in this class. Okay, So, again, I want to appeal to you to stick with us for the whole class. It's going to be 13 weeks. We have two weeks of break in here. One, I'll be on vacation. Another, we'll have our missions conference next week. Those are the two weeks. But, but other than that, it's going to be the next um, 11 times that I'm here we're going to work through this. So stick with me. There's a schedule for you. Um, so you can know when, when you need to be here. They're, they're on the back table if you need it. Um, but I, you need to stick with me for the whole class. Maybe you're just hearing a little portion. It's like, man, this is not. What about all this? And what about this? And you might have hundreds of questions. Again, write them down. We're, we're hopefully going to get to them. And uh, if not, I'd like to try to answer them if I could. Vicki. Yeah, yeah, you have that same, yeah, you have that same, uh, same sort of authority structure there. Right. Yep. 
Good. Anyone else? All right. Let me pray and uh, be dismissed. Father, uh, I can't think of uh, another class where this uh, sort of teaching goes more against the grain of our society than this one. And and, uh, so I pray that you give us wisdom and grace as we talk with each other and as we iron out the different issues as they relate to our own families and as they relate to uh, the workplace and as they relate to the government and as they relate to our to, to Christ's church. We want to honor you in the way that we live. And we don't just say that with our mouths. We, we are wanting you to change our minds, alter them to make them in conformity with, with your word. And uh, we don't want to be squeezed into the mold of society, but but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as Paul says. Help us as we do that, we pray. Give us grace in Jesus' name.